You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. And it is time for Counterpoint. Facing off tonight, John Mraz, former liberal war room guy, journalist, as well as Bill Hutchison, former journalist and competitor, now professor over at Seneca. All right, guys, good to have you. Um, I want to play you a clip because Kathleen Wynne sidled up to climate change minister Catherine McKenna today during an announcement for $100 million of federal money going into a provincial program for putting stuff in your house that's environmentally sound. If you want new windows, there's an environmental way to go. You get a refund, that kind of stuff. Here is what Kathleen Wynne said, however, that made no one care about what she was there for. There are those who would say to us right now, this is not necessary, you need to slow down, get rid of the carbon market. Um, But my response to that is you cannot say that you're serious about climate change if you're not willing to put a price on pollution. It's just not possible. That price on pollution has to be in place in order for us to be able to reduce carbon emissions. So that's why we're doing this. So when I hear Doug Ford and the Conservatives say that big business can't afford a price on pollution, my response to that is that as a society, we cannot afford not to reduce pollution. We cannot afford a future that doesn't have a reduction in, uh, in carbon. And that is, uh, that is why we are putting, we're putting the planet before profits, um, but those voices would put profits before, uh, before the health of the planet. Mm-hmm. Bill? <sighs> okay. <That's> what, <laughs> that was my resic. <laughs> okay, let's start with the fact that, that she's equating carbon tax uh, as being absolutely everything that's good and that's going to save the planet when the carbon tax is not actually going to save the planet. Because she's already said the money from the cap and trade, if you get rid of the money from the cap and trade, it costs 40,000 civil servants their jobs. So the money's not going towards actually fighting climate change. It's going to pay for 40,000 civil servants' uh, salaries. The other thing yeah, is she's about gotten the, tripped up on her messaging. Yeah, and, and the carbon tax uh, out in BC, everybody keeps saying, "Oh, BC's got a carbon tax and it's working really well." In fact, the BC government came out with some numbers in January that said their emissions have actually gone up 1.6 percent. Paying a dollar sixty-one for gas. They're paying a fortune in carbon tax, and it hasn't reduced their emissions. They're way behind in terms of hitting their targets. So that's not the solution. Actually, this green retro green home retrofit is a good program. I, I will give them that. It is something that that governments should do. They should get incentives yep. to, to taxpayers to get more green, to, to retrofit their homes, to, to try and conserve energy in that regard. Don't punish them. Don't penalize them for living in Canada where you have to heat your home, where you have to drive a long distance to, to get anywhere. That's what they're doing with the carbon tax. They're but simply when penalizing us. The planet before profits. I mean, that is just wow. such a stupid... Yeah, that's the other... St- yeah. I mean, really... John, like really? Well, I, I was listening to George Carlin last night for no no particularly good reason. God, but God, why couldn't Kathleen you be alive George today? Carlin, yeah, okay. yeah. One of them's George funny. Carlin. One of George, them's... George Carlin, you know, came forward before his untimely death and said, you know, manage the planet. We can't manage our own laundry generally in our own homes. And I thought it was a great line. But let's remember Kermit the Frog ripped off a great song. It's not easy being green. And uh, and all jokes aside, Abacus Data came out today. I get, yep. I get a little... And one-third of Canadians don't even believe in uh, greenhouse effects, global warming, whatever you want to call it. The folks that... So I'm going to talk about this from a political standpoint that's, that's actually not partisan. I know that's shocking. But what amazed me about all of this today is that Kathleen gets a bump from her budget. In, in certainly in Toronto and a few other uh, urban centers in, in Ontario. In one poll. Mm-hmm. In one poll. No, no, I've seen a couple other polls. She did get a bump. She's getting a bump. She went from like irrelevancy to possibly 
maybe holding some of the furniture of like the Ontario Liberal Party. Possibly there is a difference. There's okay. a difference. There's a difference between Kim Campbell and, say, Paul Martin's results at the end of everything. There is a difference. And so you've got the 130 Canadians who, I mean, that's a hard 130 Canadians who don't care about any of this. And there's going to be a soft group in the middle. But what nobody's talking about is the fact that a federal minister basically said, we know Doug Ford's going to win, and we're going to send the money directly to yeah. Ontarians. It was not a compliment to Kathleen. It was, in fact, a tacit admission. She's probably going down. We're not going to do business but with Doug she, Ford. And if you retrofit your windows, you're still going to get your money directly through us because we're not giving it to Doug Ford right. to disperse. Of course, we are going to collect $2 shot. billion dollars out of your economy and give you back $100 million. No, no, no. She Well, she did say that depending on who wins in the election, uh, if her chosen uh, person, which would be Kathleen Wynne, doesn't win, then they will then bypass the province and give it to individual Ontarians, which uh, then makes the federal Liberals buying the next vote. My point was this. Kathleen presents this budget through Charles Souza, poor, poor guy. <laughs> who, uh, who, uh, whom I like and I know full, fully transfer. Well, and he and, and she it. seems to be almost developing some momentum. And then she comes out and talks about the most unpopular program in Ontario over the last 10 years, which was the Green Energy yeah. Act. And uh, and and these these sorts of uh, these sorts of initiatives, many of which have proven to have raised hydro rates and been completely ineffectual at generating money in the private. I, I mean, it was amazing to me to watch her. This is not shooting yourself in the foot. This is putting it right up to your temple. And then your federal minister comes out and says, well, fate forbid if Kathleen doesn't win, we're going to go right around Doug. Wow. Can we but, schedule but he, one of these every week for the next uh, couple months? Yeah, no, well, no kidding. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they're out there talking about this. And I, I, I agree with John, and I've seen the polling. When you actually ask Canadians in Ontario... They don't, climate change, that, it doesn't even poll. People don't care about that. They care about health. They people care about education. Never they care about, about that. So when people have never care, cared about the, the environment. It's not a priority. It's they not talk where they, about yeah, it. Yeah, they talk about they it. They talk, talk about it. When, it come, when push comes to shove in, in the ballot box, they don't vote for the environment. Well, I mean, but, uh, aside from the people who are currently protesting Antler Restaurant downtown. Yeah, Toronto, all six of well. them. <laughs> right. But again, w- what's this asinine comment that we put the planet before profits? I mean, yeah, that is just a ridiculous statement. You know what? Profits are dir- a dirty word. Profits are terrible. We should take profits away from every company in this in this province. That's the, the goal of the Liberals. Fate forbid people are able to actually feed their families. Well, well how else would you tax the rich to pay the for everybody else? I mean, they want all this free stuff, and they all, t- both uh, Kathleen Wynne and Andrea Horvath, believe in, in redistribution of wealth. Where else would they get that wealth if there was no profit? There Look, aren't enough... Pro, uh, enough wealthy people out there to tax to pay for everything they want to do. Well, don't tell them that it's it ruins their <laughs> spin. That? But let me song? let me yeah, let me play the um, clip that M- uh, Miss McKenna said because again she was rambling kind of, and I don't know if it's uh, if she's kind of uh, losing it or if she's just desperate to get her message out. But listen to her 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 comment today. In the 21st century, you cannot have the environment without the economy. You can't have the economy without the environment. They go together. They do not go together. Hot dogs and ketchup go together. Ketchup and french fries go together. French toast and syrup go together. But if you're spending all your efforts to try and save the environment and you destroy the economy, you've now ruined what, what would save the environment. Right. But Gerald Butts, who is the key, well, he is the guy running the country, essentially, he 
believes in creating a, a green economy by 2050. And these are his talking points. You can hear them. You mean the former director of the World Wildlife, Wildlife Fund? Yes. And the guy that Same. created the Green Energy yeah, Act that bankrupted Dalton Ontario. Right I mean, man. these are his policies. Yeah, I know, Gerald. I mean, I, I think what was remarkable about the statement, it was reminded me of an old repost on sort of communist rhetoric, which is the majority is the minority, and the minority <laughs> is the majority. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and so I have absolutely no idea what she was talking about, and, and I'm, I'm sure she'll be more clear. I don't think she knew future. what she was talking about either. But she's had a couple of these missteps in the last two weeks where people, and I think it speaks to that polling, where people, they don't really understand the plan. And you've got a minister who's pa- clearly passionate about it. Uh, this is what she believes, but she can't explain it. It is an utter shock to me, and I should shoot this coffee out my nose, that I missed the days of Stéphane Dion as the <laughs> Minister of the Environment, because at least I understood what he was talking about. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, clearly no one else understood it. But, you know, I do think it's interesting that they're hardening down on this kind of ideological activism that has hurt Ontario so, so much, and they think that's the path forward. Well, let's hope they continue. <laughs> well... Mm-hmm. I think it's still entirely possible that the Ontario Liberal Party works with the NDP in this province and creates well, a coalition government to uh, stop Doug the Thug. Oh, if there's a minority government, that's what that's what will happen, and you know that's what will happen. So, of course, it's it's important uh, to decide if you want to get rid of the Liberals, you have to vote strategically. But but interestingly, you know, we're hearing you know gas prices are now just shooting up for the summer months, you know, so they're going to go from a buck 30 to about a buck 40 and from there we don't really know. And when that starts to drive the price up of food and everyday essentials that people need. I got to correct you there. The price of gas has very little to do with the provincial or federal governments of Canada, much more to do with international trading it, rates. It does to a degree. These are the everyday things that How much that tax do you pay on a, on a liter of gas? How well, much it, of how much would you pay of that liter is actual tax? Well, uh, Bill, I, I, significant I, I acknowledge it's a significant portion, and I also and it's an easy target for politicians to, to look at and say, I'm just going to slap a couple more cents on a liter of gas. But I think it would be presumptuous, and I, I think as an old journalist, and I am calling you old tonight, that you know that Canada Israel, right? has no set and say in the commodity price of petroleum around the world. The United States might, Saudi Arabia might, Russia might, and Canada is just a big straw with a hole in the ground. Right. Okay. Have a seat if that's the, the case, then how come a gallon of gas in the states is about a quarter of what it would be here in Canada? If we were both working in liters or, or, or gallons, if we were both working the same metric, or the same measurement system, we're paying four times what they're paying for down in the states. Right. And as carbon pricing so, and what we're seeing in, in that's BC, which is apparently revenue neutral, we're going to see these prices just keep going up and up, and that's when you hurt the everyday people. Well, got to wrap it there because I got to go to a break because we have to pay bills, and if I don't pay bills. Then none of us come back. You get no profit. That's right. That's, but I'm going to go with the planet. Coming back here on uh, Counterpoint, we'll talk about, is Trump tweeting a good thing for Toronto getting Amazon? And what would you do with a 300-year-old red oak? Should it be bought by the city or torn down? We'll talk about those coming up next here. On Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. John Raz and Bill Hutchison joining me tonight for Counterpoint. Let's talk about Toronto's bid to be Amazon's new home. Um, and apparently Trump's war with the company. So his tweeting attacks on Amazon, accusing them of things like not paying taxes, may actually help our chances in getting the bid because we are shortlisted against 19 American companies. No secret that uh, Jeff Bezos hates Trump. Question is, Bill, do you think 
you know, Amazon is willing to make a political point at the risk of losing. It's not going to make one bit of difference to Amazon. (laughs) Sorry, just a short. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, honestly, the short answer is it's not going to make a difference. Bezos is not going to make a, a long-term decision for his company based on some tweets by Donald Trump, because he doesn't know if in three years Donald Trump is even in the White House at that at that point, and he's not going to change. And, and if Trump is in the White House, that means for another four years after that, do you really want to antagonize the the, the president uh, by moving your company your your uh, your offices uh, north of the border? No. Amazon is going to make a decision based on what's best for Amazon, and it has nothing to do with Donald Trump's tweets. Yeah, you know, and, Bezos and, is very quiet about uh, responding to these tweets. I mean, I don't care how much you hate a, a person; you're not going to lose billions of dollars of no. your your no. And the fact that Donald Trump has reduced taxes in the in the U.S. and allowed them to bring billions back to the U.S. that has far more uh, implications for for their decision than than a tweet by Donald Trump. Uh, Bill, did you read my notes before we? Went on <laughs> I didn't bring notes. This is off the top of my head. Uh, you've always been smarter than me, if not as good looking. But uh, I, uh, I uh, let's remember, Bezos owns the Washington Post. It's a pretty simple political story, just to expand a little bit on what Bill said. I don't believe this changes things, and we talked about this a few months ago on the air. And I think it's terrific that Toronto is was being considered by Amazon. Because secondary companies in that industry will say, hey, Toronto, maybe that's a place we can go. Maybe we can do business with John Tory. Or maybe it inspires Canadian companies to say, you know what? Great. I don't think Amazon's coming here. I don't think Bezos is going to antagonize Trump in this environment. That's already a war of the roses where nobody wins. Uh, And um, it's a lot of um, press about nothing. A nothing burger? A North York homeowner says uh, he may chop down a 300-year-old red oak that he says is threatening the structural integrity of the house. But he will spare the tree if the city buys the house back for about $750,000. He bought the tree in 2015, but apparently just now he realizes there's a problem with the roots. Um, Bill, look, if you look at the picture... The that tree, tree has been awesome. there for a very long. I don't know who built a house next to that tree. Well, the, 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 house the house should go, not the. Not the house the, looks yeah. like it's what about fifty, maybe sixty yeah. years old. It's one of those and, like and there military may have been an, an addition on the back. Yeah. Who builds a house that close to a tree that big? Because that tree did not get big in the last fifty years. It's been there for three hundred and fifty years. So let's get real. But if I mean, if the city looks at it and says, "Well, we wanna we wanna buy that property," they've they've spent money on stupider things. First of all. Uh, but I would say if you're going to buy it, use Section 37 money. If you're going to buy it, take the money. Are you familiar with Section 37 money? It's money that they get from developers. When a developer wants to build something that's beyond the, the official plan, they negotiate with a counselor and they they pay into this fund called Section 37 money. The money's supposed to be used to help uh, improvements in the war. Dangerous precedent though. Well, and the bottom line, I think they've, this spent, is a- they've spent money on on stupider things with Section 37 money. There's a mural that uh, yeah. Kristen Wong Tam had painted for about $250,000 in downtown Toronto because she's sitting on millions of dollars of the Section yeah. 37 money. So if you're going to do that and you want to build a heritage park there, right there, that's a one-off because that's such a uh, an unusual situation, a 350-year-old tree. I'm not saying the city should do it, but if you're going to do it, do it that way. And then, you see, what my little theory is, because I looked at this picture and I looked at that tree, and I would actually save that tree because it's beautiful. But to me, it, you didn't buy that house knowing. You're a developer. You're trying to get out of, of you want that house gone, and you're just trying to strong-arm the city because the city's not going to let them tear down that tree because it's a heritage tree. Wow. And not to mention, to cut it down would probably cost them 100000 So what he's saying is, oh, my God, it's now the it's structural integrity of my... No, it's not. Well, I've been dying to tell this joke all day. This is a corny story. And uh, look, the oak tree is beautiful. Is that your joke? 
That was it. A corny acorn. Oh, acorn. Oh, you're following me. Yeah. All right. Does this like, come with subtitles uh, for the clo- the her uh, humor uh, impaired? Wah, wah. Yeah, subtitles for for, for boys who are <laughs> bred and born in downtown Toronto. Now, nobody can understand us anyway. Look, uh, the first thing is nobody's offered to buy this house. The city has made no offer. The owner cannot unilaterally take down the tree. Well, he could in the middle of the night, like the rest of them do. The fines, and then he could face a hundred thousand dollar fine. Uh, the fines. I mean, the neighbors would go nuts. Pretty significant. Yes. Second of all, I've actually had this problem in a house I've lived in, where a very large maple tree, the roots started pushing up against the foundations. It can be uh, diminish your property values. It can be a significant problem. But there's two things I don't understand about the story is one is why does the government have to solve it? Isn't there an environmental agency or action group out there who wants to take this house and use that tree as a symbol? Didn't the city try to find some private donations to buy the house and nobody stepped forward? And the second thing nobody's talking about is Robin Doug Ford's best friend, the most right-wing guy in the world who I've worked uh, against. <laughs> and his constituents want him to stay at City Hall to represent but he also Hall. thinks Giorgio Mammoliti is the one advocating that the city of Toronto get right, not in the gravy train, but the acorn truck. Well, he thinks the tree talks. buy this so, house? I mean, are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah, it's Giorgio Mammoliti, defender of the environment. I mean, he should have been on stage with Kathleen Winterday. These people are insane. Yeah, that tree's not going anywhere. But my feeling, my feeling is that they he wants the tree gone so he can develop the property because the house is does. the house is a gong show. It, the house is not the tree is beautiful. The yeah. house is not. So I would be saving the tree. The tree is literally up against the front door. So it didn't just happen two years ago. No, and and if he wants the city to buy it uh, for fair market value, is that? Fair market value today when prices have dropped 14% or is oh, that two years a year? Ago when, from, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, here's Which a prediction. Year? Here's a prediction. The minute somebody saw that there was actually a house available anywhere in Toronto for, for $750,000, <laughs> that somebody from Chestnut or one of the big one of the big real estate uh, agencies uh, or Sotheby's is going to say, well, let's get that house right now. It's a heritage property. No, it's a, the tree is a heritage. But here's the thing. I would be very innovative. Build around the tree. You could probably do something fairly cool. My big fear is that the city will buy it and then all of the councillors will get together and say, okay, how can we spend another $5 million redeveloping this into a park with uh, with 3D animation, like all sorts <laughs> of, like they'll, they'll come up with all crazy ideas and that $750,000 price will suddenly... Like $4 billion. Yes. Yeah, well, they, yeah, let's not give them any ideas. By the way, I've got a linden tree behind my house and the roots have gone under the house and have actually had uh, disrupted some of the pipes down there. So if the city could come and buy my house for fair market value, well, I'd I appreciate thought you, that. Uh, you were going to tell me that you'd gone out and bought a big swath of yellow ribbon and it was in the trunk of your car for the way home. But no. makes no mistake, Torontonians do not screw around with their trees. They are, like, I have a weed that grew into a tree in my backyard. The thing was deader than dead. It would have come down on a day like this and to take that thing out took seven months lots of money and people were furious with us furious i'm like eh. so they love their I, I and love yet a the developer the across here. the street from where i live bulldozed a whole row yeah. of trees and the it city okay. said oh, it's okay i love the part of the story where there's a woman uh, a neighbor contiguous to the property who's been fighting to save this tree for 12 years i mean this is what she's doing i will say it is a cool tree to an oak tree it is a cool tree i will give it that that's sure. one is tree she going I would to chain herself say. to the tree or, or sit up in the branches to protect it with giorgio <laughs> talking now, to the now tree. there's an image i'd like to see <laughs> wow don't, don't tempt it all right guys gotta wrap it there 841 john raz joining me bill hutchison joining me here on point i'm alex pearson this is global news radio <laughs> You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.